Hello everybody, hope we're doing well out there, Team NXT. CD, Danny Mac here, bringing you episode 69 of the Undisputed Future Podcast. And it's a very special week because it's just one of those... It's one of those episodes of NXT where you got to jump right behind the microphone as soon as I possibly can. It is just about striking noon on Thursday, September 20th, and discussing the September 19th edition of NXT, featuring and highlighted by Pete Dunne, WWE United Kingdom Champion, taking on Ricochet, NXT's North American Champion, in a takeover quality match gifted to us on regular NXT television, and it's an absolutely amazing experience when that happens as a viewer, and champion versus champion, historical match, and just when you think it couldn't get any more, who's going to win, and then, well, I'll get to that at the very end. I want to issue a quick apology for the audio quality of last episode. I went back myself and listened to it, and pretty vicious thunderstorms were happening in New York earlier this week, so I do apologize for that happening in the recording process, hoping not to pick up too much background noise this time around, and again, it's Thursday, I'm not wasting any time to jump on and give you guys another episode of the UFP, so let's jump right into it with Women's Division Tag Team Wrestling, Deanna Parazzo, the Virtuosa, teams with Captain of Team Kick, Dakota Kai, to take on Lacey Evans and NXT long-termer Aaliyah. Aaliyah, shifting more towards the heel and the bad girl personality. She thinks she's all that. She believes she's the cat's meow. I'm really trying to start to understand where this seemingly finalized gimmick with her seems to be because I don't know how many possible character changes Aaliyah can go through. The in-ring work is on the up and up. Lacey Evans, though, certainly the most improved of the NXT Women's Division from 2017, stretching across to 2018. That rivalry with Kyrie Sane really made me a believer in the lady of NXT. But Dakota Kai and Deanna Parazzo, the more experienced women as far as professional wrestling goes, Deanna Parazzo, the world-traveled superstar, famously known for her relationship with the villain Marty Skrull, and one of the cutest dogs on Twitter, with the exception of my own, Winston the Villain, absolutely adorable, kind of looks like a little lab and Jack Russell terrier mix, I'm not sure if they posted the breed, but absolutely adorable puppy, congratulations to Parazzo and Skrull, I know how much a dog can bring to one's life. Anyway, off the animal experience, let's talk pro wrestling matter of it all, strong start for Deanna, very strong start for Deanna Parazzo. Deanna making her mark on NXT since being recently signed and pointed out by my friends over at Who Got Next Pod. They believe, and I also believe this is an accurate statement, it's Deanna's first match at Full Sail University since being signed to a full-term NXT contract. The only other time I remember her competing was in singles action against the EST of NXT, Bianca Belair, at Barclays Center in Brooklyn in the post-show pre-show for NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4. So I don't think there's really any time between now and then for her to get a match in full sale. So definitely good eye by Nick on pointing out that very interesting and fun fact. Lacey Evans would have the size advantage here, the strike Heavy Lacey versus the submission style of Deanna Parazzo definitely gave this match a very interesting aura to it. A lot of back and forth between two women I have found myself 
becoming quickly a fan of. Diana Perazzo was one of my favorites during her independent scene run, and her being signed to NXT full-term was something I looked forward to for a very long time. Really impressive class with uh, Diana Perazzo's signing, if you want to go back and uh, take a look at that snapshot on WWE.com's website. Going back to Aaliyah, though, just a quick discussion since uh, she did get to man, she did manage quite a bit of time in this match. Aaliyah chance kind of split in the crowd in full sail. A lot of people a fan of Aaliyah because of her long tenure in NXT, and a lot of people like myself do see the improvement. But Aaliyah, and then an abrupt sucks chance coming right after that. As long as she's getting attention, uh, it just shows the improvement that uh, that the superstar tends to go. And Aaliyah kind of wrapped up this. Uh, this matchup as well. Lots of lots of vocal vocal action going on from Aaliyah, really showing and highlighting this new aggressive side and turning the arm strategy against Diana Perazzo. Diana Perazzo, anybody familiar with her work prior to NXT knows that she went by not just the Virtuosa, but the Fujiwara armbar specialist. Really painful shoulder inflicting damage maneuver. So a little bit of storytelling there, having her own strategy turned against her. But it was all about the hot tag for Dakota Kai, and this one certainly grabs my attention when the captain of Team Kick grabs the attention of the personified captain of Team NXT, or at least that's what I've been called before on Twitter. Anyway, the hot tag is all strikes and face washing, and a really, really unfortunate, you don't want to be Aaliyah when it comes to the boots to the mouth that Dakota Kai is able to deliver. Kai would pick up a whole lot of steam, but the advantage would shift just into Aaliyah and Lacey Evans' corner just long enough. Quick roll-up by Dakota Kai, Aaliyah thinking the match was over, presumably. I mean, she had a look of worry on her face, but Lacey Evans, with a very smart tag team strategy of the blind tag there and whipping out a huge women's right hand on the back of Dakota Kai's head, and it was all it was all elementary from there. One, two, three, vicious strike from Lacey Evans has put away many opponents, and Dakota Kai is the latest victim to that in this tag team action. I liked what I saw. I liked what I saw, though. Deanna and Dakota, I can definitely see that being a regular tandem on NXT television, not just because it pits two of my favorites, but with the unfortunate injury right now to Dakota Kai's friend, Nixon Newell, it's it's tough. Uh, Tegan Knox, rather. Um, sorry, I'm having a little bit of naming issues the past couple episodes here, Team NXT. You'll hear me probably go off on this a little bit later when Jackson Riker makes his singles match debut for the for the tan trio used to be a tandem of forgotten sons but like commentary has pointed out Jackson Riker is the newest member of the forgotten sons but they also didn't debut Cutler and Wesley Blake as the named duo of forgotten sons on NXT television ever so I don't know what uh I don't know what advantage or character drives it says to mention how Jackson Riker is the newest addition to this group? I don't know, just something for you guys to ponder. Let's drift over to a couple backstage segments, and I'll get into Jackson Riker's aggressive and dominant in-ring debut. The Velveteen Dream, 
Stealing the show with a simple backstage promo, he does what he does best. Dream carrying momentum since TakeOver. To a win over Johnny Gargano, or as he refers to him, Johnny Failure. It hurts. It hurts me as a Johnny Gargano fan, but it just makes me appreciate the genius that is the Velveteen Dream. Velveteen Dream asked once again about the Aleister Black accusations, but you don't talk to the Dream unless you're talking about the Dream. So, Dream over, interview over. Let's cut that one short. Something else that's a little bit important. I'm not sure. I'm honestly not sure if I'm allowed to say for the culture, but as an outsider looking in, I can imagine this series of promos is important. For the culture, I mean, Street Profits are uh, are dropping that tagline all the way. Meaningful. How many victories these guys have wrapped up for who they are and what they represent. The Chains. The representative of the Chains. This is the highlighted question of this backstage segment with the Street Profits. And you take such a simple concept, like a bundle of chains, and you make that important. And that's the beauty of a professional wrestling promo sometimes, folks. They aren't just changed. They are a symbol of the struggle and where they have gone to where they have been to where they ended up right here and right now with their recent back and forth trading with uh, with the mighty, formerly known as TM61, if we're going to continue my little bit of naming tangent from prior. But anyway... Representative of the Chains, very upset that the Mighty had stolen their chains just enough for a brief distraction to cost them a supposed victory over the Forgotten Sons. I didn't, I wouldn't have seen that as an upset. You got a debuting team, no matter how aggressive these guys are, and Wesley Blake, a former NXT Tag Team Champion. There was a lot to be said for the, about it for the Forgotten Sons. But the Street Profits were kind of rolling towards a victory before the interference of the Mighty and the bit of burglary going on at ringside. Or is that robbery because they were in the same vicinity? I know one's if you're completely absent from the premises and one's uh, one's if you know, you're know you held up directly by the person. And uh, the quick exit by Nick Miller and uh, unfortunate gettings caught by Shane Thorne. The strategy worked, but uh, I'm sure it didn't go executed fully to what the Mighty may have expected. So the Street Profits are looking for that slight bit of redemption. I've talked about rivalries in each respective divisions, not just about championships. And if you can make a simple story over Robin Chains and Dawkins and Ford getting upset by that, I'm all in. You give me the Mighty versus Street Profits at least one more time, I'm going to be a happy tag team wrestling fan and shifting over into another important promo we have Bianca Belair Bianca Belair addressing Nikki Cross post-match last week with the crazy cross body that didn't just lay her out but laid out a team of WWE NXT referees as well not backing down to cross though not an official loss not an official victory for anybody Bianca Belair remains under, well, I'm sure we all know the rest, but I'm going to sit here and say it anyway, undefeated. The EST of NXT is looking for bigger things and looking for that solid victory over Nikki Cross. And I mentioned it briefly 
When talking about this match, I'm going to mention it one more time. I think that Bianca Belair is the perfect rivalry to send Nikki Cross up to join her brothers in arms in Sanity on SmackDown Live. Put over a potential future star like Bianca Belair and then make your way to cause chaos amongst the ranks of SmackDown Live's women's division, which right now with Becky Lynch at the helm, it's not only chaotic as far as my mindset as a fan, because it's a moment I've been waiting for, but also this new aggressive side of Becky Lynch locking up with somebody as crazy as Cross, assuming that she can get shot up into the title scene while Becky Lynch still holds the gold. But that's enough fantasy booking just for now. Three very important backstage promos, three very important pieces of character development here. I still see Velveteen Dream as number one contender for Tommaso Ciampa's NXT Championship. While Johnny Gargano is going through all of this mental struggle, Street Profits and TM61, now known as the Mighty, you can give me that match over and over again. I will love it as a fan. And Bianca Belair still continuing her undefeated streak. And Nikki Cross really looking to put a crazy spoke in the wheels of the EST. Alright, needed a little bit of a respite after that last segment. Number one, I've been talking for 14 straight minutes. And number two, the coffee's kicking in. And uh, if you believe anything from Otis Dozovic's Aleister Black attack accusation questioning, then uh, you know how the rest of that story goes. And moving onward to Jackson Riker's in-ring debut against Humberto Carrillo, Humberto Carrillo, Humberto Carrillo, not a, not an easy name for us white guys from Staten Island to pronounce, but a very important piece of heritage, and uh, last word on pro wrestling, thank you for the brief article on the 22-year-old of WCW royalty, yeah, he's got a, he's got heritage all the way back to WCW, a multiple generation star, is this young 22-year-old talent not really getting the chance to showcase it because Jackson Riker with an absolutely dominant performance. And like I mentioned briefly before, Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler, if you don't believe me, uh, take the word out of founding member of Sanity's Sawyer Fulton when I say that the tag team potential with Wesley Blake and Steve Cutler is very high and I can see Jackson Riker Sorry for the background noise again. I can see Jackson Riker becoming the single standout of the faction. Once I get a proper living situation here, Team NXT, I'm going to be able to deliver some dynamic, dynamic discussion in uh, in a little bit more of a quiet circumstance. Anyway, the strongman of the group, obviously Jackson Riker, powerhousing and heaving Humberto all over the ring. Not a morsel of offense for this young man, but absolutely great, great selling and really making all of this damage believable. Carrillo is a young upstart, and uh, I can definitely see big big things for a second generation, at least, Lucha star. But the standout moments of this match has to be a slingshot powerbomb that would end its absolutely discarding of the carcass of Carrillo. One, two, three, big victory for the big man of the Forgotten Sons. And Forgotten no more. I'm really looking forward to these guys being a mainstay and a regular on NXT television. I'm a huge fan of the Sons of Anarchy drama, and those of you with Netflix who haven't checked it out yet and are looking for a new show to start, 
that's not a Netflix exclusive, definitely check out Sons of Anarchy, most famous by being on the FX network, which is also carrying Mayans MC right now, which I'm also a fan of. Don't worry, I'm not getting paid for any of these plugs. These are just my personal opinions as a fan. So this badass Kurt Sutter-drawn aura that the Forgotten Sons are putting off, I really, really dig it. Mentioned the backstage vignette, not backstage vignette, but uh, camera video vignette that uh, these guys got last week. Really impressive piece of editing, WWE NXT, and really the WWE video production crew as a whole tends to nail it every single time. So a big win for the big debuting man known as Jackson Riker. Lots more happening backstage for NXT personalities, though. We have Candice LeRae being questioned by General Manager William Regal and his police, his legal representation. I don't know, the guy in the suit sitting next to him who's uh, obviously playing detective work. Candice to Regal, really, really, she didn't have much more to offer. She gave Cassius Ono and Kyrie Sane a little bit of an alibi obviously not knowing a whole lot, but she did make her own suspicions, and they pointed just like anywhere else that you and I thought they would. Although he was a man who was acquitted of these things, her suspect sounds a lot like Tommaso Ciampa. Deceitful, behind-your-back attack in a cowardly fashion, but Regal has already dismissed the possibility of Tommaso Ciampa, but somebody who has not dismissed his flat out, he has not denied this flat out. He said, look into his eyes and you should know the answer. Regal questions her about her husband, Johnny Gargano. Johnny Gargano not denying the Aleister Black attack accusations. But Candace's story doesn't seem like there's anything out of the ordinary Pretty typical post-match, just triple threat match had been announced, he was packing up his things, left her for a brief matter of seconds? I don't know. But then just driving off home and grabbing food and doing whatever happy couples do, and really not an out-of-the-ordinary discussion from Candice LeRae, but could Candice be an accomplice? Does Candice know more? Then she's letting on. Is she hiding behind this meeting up with Cassius and Kyrie story? Is this separating personal and professional views like Candace stated this evening? Is that taken out of interpretation? Is that something, is that a door that we have not quite opened yet? How much does Candace Gorey know? Does she know more than she's putting off? Is Candace being completely honest? That's for you and I to kind of guesstimate at this point until we have a finalized suspect who attacked Aleister Black up there with who is Cartman's dad and who shot Mr. Burns. They turned an NXT champion's injury into a former NXT champion's injury. It, It still hurts me to say that a little bit. I guess there's a piece of my mind that still lives in that place of denial. The former NXT's champion's injury turned into a murder mystery, definitely making for some compelling television on NXT. But speaking of compelling, nothing really says compelling like the charismatic Colossus Keith Lee. Keith Lee getting a hype video, you could see the Dusty Rhodes inspiration, 
not just in how he delivers his statements, but really the personality that he uses to make them shine through. Keith Lee is a phenomenal talent. I want him to narrate every aspect of my life, and the potential for him on NXT is limitless. And a man I want to see him feud with, or at least have a blockbuster of a match with, the Leviathan Lars Sullivan will be in action next week after taking out EC3 prior to a match with Raul Mendoza and Lars in action again after a dominant victory over the Cruiserweight Classic competitor Raul Mendoza. And I mentioned Champa briefly before, but Heavy Machinery's Otis Dozovic taking a little bit of issue with Tomato Chips. Tomato Chips will take on Otis Dozovic in a one-on-one match next week, and I really like this idea. We got a chance to see Otis Dozovic shine on his own when Tucker Knight was taken out by the Mighty, and Dozy's got a whole lot of charisma himself, and I can see him shining as a single star. I don't want Heavy Machinery to break up at any point, do not get the words twisted, but I feel like if it does happen, Tucker Knight has singles potential, and Otis Dozovic also has his own singles spotlight to shine under. So next week, two big matchups with two big frames, Lars in action and Otis Dozovic takes on NXT champion Tommaso Ciampa. And speaking of champs, it's time for the main event. Champion versus champion, Ricochet versus Pete Dunne, the one and only versus the Bruiserweights and There's some things I sit here and I try and I try and I really try, but I just struggle with how to put a storytelling match like this into words. You saw the clash of styles. You saw the aggression of Pete Dunne. You saw the determination of Ricochet. Just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful matchup. Counter for counter. The early advantage did go to Pete Dunne, obviously, The mat work and the joint manipulation would need to come into play to ground a high flyer like the one and only Ricochet. But some unexpected mat work also coming from Ricochet really put an interesting vibe on this match as well. You saw some unexpected submission techniques. You saw some unexpected power out of Ricochet. A lot of people are only familiar with his high flying work, but I think he needs these really powerful moments in the ring because that way he's not pigeonholed into somebody who's just going to fit in the landscape of 205 Live. It's not necessarily myself thinking that way, but I can see that train of thought. If you've listened to the show before, you know I've I've got to talk out of two sides of my mouth sometimes here, Team NXT, to really make a point. So don't dismiss Ricochet as a full-time heavyweight talent because the man has the submission, mat work, and power to back things up. Really just don't know what else there is to say. It was just a back and forth instant classic. Really highlighted both styles from these competitors. Forced me to jump up, throw my glasses across the room after a avalanche hurricane rana maneuver by Ricochet that I was absolutely certain would have ended the matchup. Just both men pulling out all the stops. I mentioned at the beginning of the show, but it's really the only point that can highlight such a beautiful match, a champion versus champion, truly takeover-worthy spectacle. Fight forever. This is awesome, Chance. Both these guys' chants were inevitable, like I 
got a chance to tweet at the beginning before this match even, before the bell even rang. But then, but then of course, the disruptive presence of the NXT Tag Team Champions and their leader, you guessed it, Adam Cole, baby, leading the rest of the Undisputed Era to interfere in this instant classic of a matchup. And for the first time in a long time, at least for what I remember, Undisputed Era getting a majority of genuine boos out of Full Sail University. And when you break up and put such a great match to a sudden halt like that, I really can't blame anybody in Florida getting upset there. But quickly, and a lot quicker than men of their size probably should have been able to, quickly on their tail was the war Raiders chasing the Undisputed Era down and pretty much vowing that destruction will meet them at some point. The War Raiders can only chase these guys down for so long without absolute dominance raining down on the Tag Team Champions. Kyle O'Reilly and Roderick Strong capable of beating larger opponents. We've seen Bobby Fish and Kyle O'Reilly do it against the Authors of Pain so there's a will and a way. Right now, it's a lot of psychological warfare when it comes to the Undisputed Era and the War Raiders. But both men would get their titles at the end of this one, Ricochet and Pete Dunne, with a stare down that pretty much says simply, this is not over. You could see the history building with these two. From the tag team miscommunication to a beautiful singles match here, This is not the last time we will see Ricochet and Pete Dunne in the same ring. But I want to talk about those other two teams just for a couple of minutes. War Raiders, Undisputed Era. The pieces for War Games are subtly falling into place. Undisputed Era, already three of them. Already victorious within War Games. Adam Cole, Bobby Fish, and Kyle O'Reilly... And even Roderick Strong has War Games experience. Now, it's not the Roderick Strong we know now. That Roderick Strong had matching camouflage, almost the Drake Maverick current role with the Authors of Pain and Akerman Rezar and Roddy put on one hell of a showing in that War Games match as well. So all four members of the Undisputed Era are familiar with this structure. War Raiders and War Games Kind of self-explanatory, but I could definitely see Ricochet playing that aforementioned Roderick Strong role and teaming in kind of an odd man out in joining a tag team like that. I would love to see that, and that just leaves Pete Dunne. Now, if only Pete Dunne had two friends who had issues with the Undisputed Era, oh, wait a minute... I believe that Tyler Bates and Trent Seven might have had a little bit of history with uh, Adam Cole, Kyle O'Reilly, Roderick Strong, and Bobby Fish. I could, uh, it's on the tip of my tongue. I, I think, I think these guys have had one of the best tag team rivalries in all of professional wrestling. I think. You guys can feel free to double check me on that. But I think there's some history there with the Undisputed Era and British Strong Style. So the pieces are falling into play. How will these nine men interact over the next coming of weeks. Tweet at me, message me, give me any of your thoughts you have. And speaking of War Games predictions, I can confirm for you guys once again, 
that Mr. Warren Hayes will be hosting a dual predictions show again with yours truly. I cannot wait for this one. One of my favorite recordings in a long time was that NXT TakeOver Brooklyn 4 special. In fact, it might have been my favorite NXT episode since the last TakeOver Brooklyn 3 edition of the Undisputed Future Podcast. And that will wrap things up pretty much for this week's edition of the show. The show tends to go a little bit shorter, but I feel like I make more relevant points. And also, just given the amounts of in-ring excitement and things that are hard to put into words, it uh, it kind of fell short. But I hope I gave you guys a productive half hour and uh, got you guys through your commute safely and swiftly. I am CD Danny Mac. Be sure to follow all of the podcast's social media accounts at podcast underscore UF is the Twitter. Feel free to reach out to me with not just NXT thoughts, but I'm live tweeting vaguely the May Young Classic occurring right now. I'm definitely going to start paying more attention to 205 Live. Even been snowballing the idea of making that a part of the recordings and uh, finally bringing you guys the idea of cruiser waves to uh, to the podcast's front. So give me your thoughts on if you guys want me to also discuss the cruiserweights high-flying action because it has a new time slot on the WWE Network at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, United States Time for airing right before NXT and three hours, three days in a row as it stands of WWE programming. 205 NXT May Young Classic, one hell of a schedule and I really, really want to discuss it all. Feel free to reach out to me and give me a like on the Facebook page. Definitely working on social media maintenance there. Recently changed to the most updated logo, so I got that going for me, which is nice. And be sure to follow the Instagram at Undisputed Future Podcast, all one word. You'll see wrestling memes, dog pictures, etc., etc., all that stuff I know you guys like out there. Thank you so much for joining me once again on this edition of the Undisputed Future Podcast, guys. Episode 69 draws to a close. I am CD Danny Mac. Don't forget to reach out to me about the Wrestling Podcast Awards and be sure to nominate me, especially when it comes to any of the solo categories. Have a great week and I'll talk to you next time.